tonight the question would be, are you a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness? Um, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, the story of the demon-possessed man being healed. You guys are probably all familiar with it, but we're going to take a look at it, and hopefully it's going to have a, a fresh impact in all of our lives. Um, in verse 28, uh, 26 of Luke 8, it says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped, he being Jesus, stepped on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had been who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness." So we look at this scene. This is right after the wind and the waves scene where Jesus is uh, in the boat and he just says, peace, be still. And we sang that tonight, be still. And the disciples are feeling pretty good because they're like, man, this guy's got some power, right? As soon as they step on the shore, out comes this naked, crazy, howling guy from the tombs. Not probably what was on their agenda for the day, I'm sure. But uh, this guy, it, it's interesting because it says, it gives us a picture into the power of demonic activity, which we don't like to think about a lot. But it says that he was seized and kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds. He's like going Incredible Hulk on them. By the, it says, and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. So what's interesting, and a quick question I think of, it says, just to apply it immediately to my own life, is a lot of times when we're out in the world and you talk to people and they don't like the idea of religion because they think it's like, uh, they don't like to be accountable to anything. They don't like to have rules. They don't want someone telling them they can't do something that they want to do. They think that when we go to church, it's a big list of do's and don'ts that we have to follow. And people don't like that. They like their freedom. They like to do whatever they want as they're walking through the streets. If I want to do this, I can do it. Nobody can tell me what's right and what's wrong. Which is true in a sense. But as we see with this man, I'm sure that when he was you know, in his right mind. However, he had gotten demon-possessed. We don't know how that happens. We open up something. We allow ourselves to, to, to yield ground to the enemy in some way so that he has an open door to get in and, and to take over. But I'm sure that you know, maybe a year, it says demons for a long time. How did it start? How long ago was it? And I think it's interesting because I'm sure that this man never thought when he was doing X, Y, and Z, that he would end up naked, running out of the tomb, screaming like a madman. And that's what happens with our sin. We open up en- portals to the enemy, and we're like, oh, you know, I'm free. I don't, I don't, no one can tell me what's right and wrong. I'm free to do whatever I want. And that freedom is the very thing that ends up shackling us to sin. And we can't get free without the power of the gospel. And that's what we're looking to look at. Why do I think that I would be free if I could do whatever I want? This man could do whatever he wanted, Right? No bonds could hold him. Check this guy out. If you put it in a different context, you're like, this guy's Superman. People are trying to, to throw him in prison and lock him up, and he's just like, Phew. And we looked at that uh, on Sunday morning where the disciples got thrown in prison and the angels let him out. And we were like, yay! When this guy gets out of prison, we're like, no! It's not a good scenario. Um, it's interesting because he had no bonds on him, yet he was in bondage, Right? Jesus asked him in verse 30, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they, and they, 
speaking of the demons, not the man, they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. And that, if you look at that word, they begged. It's, they also said, I beg you, do not torment me. Just remember that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him, that's the third time we see that, that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. If anyone thinks that in playing footsie with the enemy, or whatever you want to call it, leads to anything other than death and destruction, this is a clear example that the enemy seeks only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It didn't matter what it was. It could have been a naked guy in a tomb. It could have been a herd of swine. They just wanted to do as much damage as possible. And oftentimes, sin, the purpose of sin is to rob God of his glory and to rob the image bearers of God, which is us, of the glory that we are called to reflect to the world. So when we have a slavery to sin, that's, the enemy is getting exactly what he wants, which is to take the glory from God onto himself, because he seems at that time more powerful, right? And we look at it, and we've had conversations, Chris and I were talking about it, it's like, it seems like the kingdom of God should be more powerful. And we keep seeing all these things happening with pastors falling and tons of destruction and families and homes and just getting, everything's getting ruined. And we're like, well, how is this happening? We're supposed to be the ones with the power, right? The enemy is powerful. And the thing that's interesting is that this man did not, I'm sure he wasn't in his right mind. He didn't think he was in bondage. In John 8, if we could pull up the verses here, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. A lot of us get disillusioned by the lies of the enemy. And we know that the enemy's biggest ploys are what? We say the lust of the lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's what we tempted Jesus with. And ultimately, it comes down to getting us to doubt God and getting us to doubt who we are in God, right? So Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you don't take the word of the enemy. You don't take what the world says. You don't even take your circumstances or the current situations that you're in as the truth. You take my word as truth. And the truth shall make you free. And what's interesting about this is that it says... If you abide, and we think of that, and it, we often equate the word abide with the Bible. But let's break it down. The, the word abide basically just means to dwell or to live. Have, have any of you had to work to get into your house every day and to just sit there on the couch watching Duck Dynasty or whatever? Is that work? No, you dwell there. That's where you live. Jesus is saying, live in my word. You just, you just rest there. You, that's where you make your home. And it, we, we looked at it. You know, a month ago or whatever, when I spoke last time, that God, not only do we, are we taking up residence in God at the right hand of the Father, but he's making his home in us. And that's amazing. In verse 33, it says, they answered him. This is the, the rulers and the chief priests and stuff. We are, Abraham's, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Does that phrase sound a little bit inconsistent? If, we're talking about the Jewish people, right? They've never been in bondage to anyone. How, how blind are they? And this, right after this, um, or right before this, is after you know, Jesus heals the blind man and he's, he gives a prophecy about the blind leading the blind. They're like, are you talking to us? Are you saying we're blind? He's like, no. The people who are blind have no excuse, or, or excuse because they don't see their sin. 
the fact that you say you are you can see means that you are dead in your sin. So they're they're so naive of the fact that they are in bondage. And he says, "How can you say you will be made free? You know, we've never we're we're the religious people. We do everything right. We do everything that we're supposed to do, and God's happy with us." And Jesus answered them, said, "I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever." But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. It has nothing to do with what we do. It has nothing to do with what we think. And what's interesting is that true freedom comes when we are enclosed, as it were, or chained to the son. Um, if you guys take a look at Romans 6, while you're there, I'm going to actually go to... Judges. I'm bouncing all over the place. You guys know Romans 6, right? I'd ma- I tried to make a goal for myself to memorize Romans 6, 7, and 8. I'm still trying to accomplish that. I made that goal probably like five years ago. I know, what shall we say then? I, I got that far, and that was it. Um, you guys know the story of Samson, right? I equate Samson a lot with my own life. And... Uh, you just look at his story, and he had everything at his disposal. He was consecrated to God. He was strong. He was victorious over his enemies. One by one, didn't matter what the enemy tried to throw at him. He was just, Psh, hey, here's a jawbone. Psh, I don't need anything. I'm so powerful, I can do whatever I want. So much so that it got to his head. And if you guys know the story of Samson and Delilah, the Philistines are like, hey, we're going to give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you just get him to tell us where his strength is, Right? And it says, entice him. Find out where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him. That we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. If you think about being this demon-possessed guy, right? This is probably, in the supernatural world, spiritual world, this is the kind of conversations that are going on. It's how can we overpower this guy who God has his hand on? How can we do the most damage and destruction as we can? So Delilah uses her perfumes and her nice makeup and everything and says, please tell me where your great strength lies, please. And with what you may be bound to afflict you. It's just, it's, we think we're really smart. And we're like, oh, I would never fall to that. This person sinned. Psh, I would never do that. This woman is asking him, how can I tie you up and afflict you? And he's like, well, I don't know. I guess I could do some. Uh... And then he goes through the whole charade. Seven fresh bowstrings, you tie me up. And then you guys know, uh, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he breaks them. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. You would think that like, after the third and fourth time, Samson would be like, hmm, why do I keep waking up with things tied around my waist? Or tied around my, at my wrists? But isn't that funny how we... I watch people do the exact same thing. I've done the exact same thing where, like, I do the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. Right? I'm like, okay, God, I'm not going to sin this way anymore. I'm going to do it. I'm going to work really hard. Nobody's going to stop me. And then Delilah comes and goes, pretty please? And you're like, all right. <laughs> Tie me up again. And what's interesting is we talked about how we're supposed to abide in the word, Right? Um, let me see. Ba, 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 ba. In verse, eight, uh, verse 17, or verse uh, 16 in Judges 16, it says, 
And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. And sin can be that way. He told her all his heart. No razor has ever come to my head. If you shave my head, I'll lose all my power. Which, again, Samson was putting his, his faith in the wrong thing. So what ends up happening, and this is really interesting, because I read this and I was like, man, this guy's really cocky. When she gets up this time, after she shaves his hair off, he's like, she says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. I think a lot of times we are stuck in our sin as slaves because we think, "Ah, I'll just go out and, as other times, I'll shake myself free. The only way we can be free is, like it says in John 8, is through the Son. He makes us free. He doesn't say, here's the keys, unlock yourself. He breaks those those fetters, those, those chains that bound, bind us. And this is the power of the gospel. We looked at Isaiah 61 where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon, upon me to preach the good news to the poor, to open wide the doors of the prison to those who are bound, to set the captives free. This is what we have available to us to share, and we have to live as a demonstration of that power. Um, we'll come back, but it's interesting because it says in... Uh, you guys turned to Romans 6 like good students. That was great. Um, Romans six fifteen. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? You know, think about the demon-possessed guy. I don't have anything holding me back. I can do whatever I want. I don't have this law. Because what happened was Paul was like, hey, we have grace now. And some people use grace as an opportunity for the flesh rather than allowing the power of God and the gift of his grace to set us free from all those vices, they use it as, get out of hell free card. I can do whatever I want and still go to heaven. Paul says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That's the gospel. They believed the gospel, and because of that, they were set free. It says in verse 18, And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. This verse convicts me every time I read it. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Or so we think. We're like, ah. I'm free to do whatever I want, but you're a slave of sin. You're free from righteousness, but you're a slave of sin. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? We think that way, right? After we come to the light, after we see the power of God, we're not reveling in the things that we did. It's not like the Israelites were like, oh, it was so much better back in Egypt. Remember the lentils and the garlic? We're ashamed of the things that we did. Because the Spirit of, the, of, of God is living in us and says, that stuff is not for you. But sometimes we can look back with fondness on those things. And we allow, if you can remember the story where Jesus said about the guy casting out the demons, and the demons find that the place was left empty, and they go and get more, and they, the, worst, that the man was worse than the first. Sometimes we are, God gives us opportunities to walk free from our sin, 
and we don't replace that thing with him. We don't abide in his word. We just kind of leave it open. We leave those open doors. It says in verse 22, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, everlasting life. And you, got, you might be thinking, slaves of God, that sounds really weird. I don't want to be a slave. I thought you said I'd been set free. You have. And you've been called God's slave. What does that mean? The Greek word for slave is doulos. A slave, bondman, man of servile condition. It's also a metaphor for one who gives himself up to another's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. If you remember in 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9... We looked at this last week. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. What's interesting is the root word for the word doulos, or being a slave, is deo, which is to bind, or tie, or fasten with chains. So, when we become God's slave... We are being bound or fastened with chains to God. And the word of God is not chained. So not only are we we're being set free from sin, but we're being connected. We're being bound in some spiritual way that I can't quite understand in Christ. And we have, while we have freedom, we're called to something greater. We're put into service, not out of obligation, not out of duty in the sense of like, I have to do this to pay God back. It's, because there's nothing else. I see it more as, you know, in, in 1 Peter, I think it says, where he's our anchor. We're the boat, right? We're, ship, you're, we're, we're in danger of shipwreck, and we lay that anchor. And we're, in a sense, the boat is chained to that anchor, which is in the ground. But I'm sure the boat is happy that it's chained to the anchor, right? That's how I see it when he says we're a slave of righteousness, when he says we're a slave of God, is that we're chained to God Because this world is tossing to and fro, and anything else, we could just get taken away by the current. It's not a a burden or a trip that that God puts on us, like, okay, here's the list of do's and don'ts. Being a slave of righteousness is being connected to the righteousness that's available in Christ with a chain that cannot be broken. Abide in my word, and you shall be free. The word of God is not chained it's amazing the dichotomy there. The, the very thing that sets people free is the thing that cannot be broken. Um, so if we go back to Luke 8, <clears throat> we're going to see how it turns out for this guy. Uh, Luke eight twenty eight. You guys remember I said, keep in mind that whole begging thing. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. When we're a slave of sin, and I've been there, all we think about as humans is that God is going to get us. All we think about is that eventually this is going to come to light. Eventually God's going to smite me. God's going to throw his bolts of lightning down, and then it's over. Because sin has that way of just deceiving you to the point where you're you're naked. You're not clothed with righteousness anymore. You're living in the tombs, in the deadness of your old life that was already put to death on the cross, and you're not covered with the righteousness that God 
has offered to you. He's like, don't torment me. But when Jesus casts out the demon and the word of God is more powerful than the enemy, look what it says in Luke 38. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. You see the change there? You see the complete 180? But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city of Lansdale what great things Jesus had done for him. I'm just kidding, obviously. Um, What previously, the, the man had previously thought that God was here to torment him and to judge him for his sin. And he begged him, begged him, please don't do that. They begged him it says that, they would not, that he would not command them to go to the abyss. The demons were like, no, don't do that. No, I don't want anything to do with you. Get away from me. That's the enemy's impact in the lost world. When everybody's a slave of sin, that's what their attitude is. That's what we bring the gospel to. And some people go, ah, I don't want that. Don't tell me that. Don't give me your rules. Don't give me your bondage to religion. And we say, no, 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 you don't understand. You're in bondage. We're free. And they're saying, no, get away. Don't send me to the abyss. You're just going to tell me I'm going to hell. I don't want to hear it. No. I'm saying there's a way out of hell. And then again it says, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter the, the pigs, right? So the demons are begging God, begging Jesus, please don't, don't mess with what we're doing here. And then when Jesus casts out the demons, the man it begs, he says, just let me stay with you. I just want to be with you. I just want to abide in you. Because clinging to you and staying with you, no matter what it means for me, is more freedom than I've experienced in years. I've been in the tombs. I've been unable to be shackled by anything. Nobody could stop me. I was more powerful than everybody else, but I was lost and naked and ashamed. But now I've met you, Jesus, and I want nothing more than to stay with you forever. What's interesting is, the word begged, to want, lack, to desire, long for, to ask, beg, is deo mai, which root word is deo, which is the same word that means to bind with chains. So when he's saying, God, I'm begging you, he's saying, God, chain me to you. So you see the difference there. It's a, the chain that is broken is the chain of the enemy. And then we get a new link, a titanium, unbreakable chain that links us to God that nothing we do can ever break. Um, the sad thing is that all the guys come out and they say, um, we're scared of you because you drove all those pigs off that mountain, so can you please go away? And it says, He did. And they're like, whoa, that's weird. Why would Jesus do that? I don't know. He obeyed their request, but when the man said, can I stay with you? He said, no. That seems weird. But a lot of times, God does things the exact opposite we expect him to do. And we all know he has a purpose, right? What is his purpose? He said, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. There is no greater testimony for the power of the gospel than for someone who is naked and howling and living in tombs to walk in and be like, hey, what's up? 
wait, you're wearing clothes. How are your skeleton buddies doing? Oh, I met this guy, Jesus. It's all cool now. He gave me this nice tunic. We're good. Wait, who? Who did this to you? Jesus did it. He set me free from all that, all that terrible stuff I was doing. Yeah. That town that told him, get out of here. We don't want that. He told that demonic, that healed demonic, but demoniac, go to that front line and preach all the things that I've done for you. And he was immediately a missionary at that point. Um, it's interesting because one of Paul's favorite terms for himself is that he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ, which is the word doulos, a slave. We, we dress it up by saying bondservant because that sounds a little bit more classy, but it, it means slave. It means a bondman, a slave. It doesn't really seem to mean anything nice. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. He refers to Epaphras as a bondservant of a fellow bondservant of Jesus Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, refers to himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Peter refers to himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jude, the other brother of Jesus, refers to himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The greatest position that we can have in Christ is that we are chained to him. We're not free to do what we want. We're free for him to allow us to be that close to him, <laughs> to be linked to him. I just picture it like if, we're, if, if it were possible and we trip and fall and we pull back on Jesus, he's like, no, come on, let's go. <laughs> we're tethered to him. And Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't first do for us, right? He, tell, he says, you know, you're slaves of righteousness. It says in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Another translation says, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus was willing to let go of his position in heaven so that we could cling to him on earth, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a slave, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's what he did. And then he commands us to do the following in Matthew 20. Jesus called to himself and said, called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. We can also parallel that to the spiritual world. That it's all about a, a battle for authority and redeeming back that power, like Chris is always saying. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among, him, among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What is a bondservant? What is this whole idea? Why does God want us to be his slave? In Deuteronomy 15, I think I had you guys go there, right? I'll just take a look at this. The law of the bondservant. I think this is pretty cool. This is the last stop, so you won't be flipping anymore. It says in Deuteronomy 15, verse, um, verse 12, 
If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your winepress. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. Check out verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you, this thing today. He says, whatever God has blessed you with, you shall give to your slave. Because you were a slave. And God redeemed you. And I think we can apply that to us. We were slaves of sin. God said, don't forget, there are other slaves out there. There are people that need to be redeemed. And he says, what the Lord is, your God has blessed you with, God has called you by his grace set you free from sin. What he's blessed you with, you give to them. We go out into Lansdale, we go out to the people that we work with and say, you're a slave. But God has bought you off the slave market. And not only that, but he's a master that loves you and sets you free. He buys you to set you free. He doesn't buy you to put you into work, in the workhouse, get you, in the, you know, under the ship like in Ben-Hur and you're like, oh, working, work for God. Right? That's what everybody wants you to do. Do good works because God loaned you a lot of money and you need to pay him back. No. And he says, this is awesome. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house. This slave had the opportunity to go free and he's like, no way. I love you. Since he prospers with you, then you shall take it all and thrust it through his ear. And you're like, what just happened? Why is he getting his ear thrust through? And he shall be your servant forever. What they would do is they would nail the guy's ear to the door. And when people walked past, they would say, that was the guy who had an opportunity to go free. He paid his debt, right? But he chose to stay with his master because he loved his master. And being with his master as a slave was better than going out into the world a free man. That's actually why I have an earring. I got one because I was like, oh, I like this verse. I wrote a song when I was like 14 called Pierce My Ear. It was awful. Terrible song. But the, the message sticks to this day. He's like, it's, it's better to be here. David says in Psalm 84, you guys know the song that we sing, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And it goes on to say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'll just stand by the door. Don't mind me. As long as I can be in that shelter, I can be chained to the house that God lives in. That's better than dwelling comfortably in the tents of wickedness. And it says, It shall seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. God's calling us to take the blessing that we've received in being set free and to offer that to the slaves, the people that are in bondage to sin. And when you look at it that way, it makes sin look really distasteful, right? I'd much rather be linked in the chain with God than linked to the very thing that he died to get rid of. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Everybody's like, oh, the only thing you can guarantee is death and taxes. Well, not if you're a Christian. Just taxes. (laughs) We're set free from the law of sin and death. 
What we did is gone. All that matters is God looks at us and he says, oh, look at all this righteousness you're clothed in. You're not naked in the dead, you know, in the tombs anymore. We're standing clothed with Christ's righteousness. In our right mind, it says in Luke 8. They came out and saw this crazy howling madman sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. That's the freedom that God offers to the world. And all he says is, hey, see that chain that you had? I broke it. Let's link together. And you won't have to go back to that anymore. And that's the message that we have. That's what we have to share every time we're out, every time we are. And I'm convicted by it because I don't. It's easy to say it. And we have to ask for the, the Spirit, the law of the Spirit. You're like, that's kind of like, I thought we weren't under the law. It says, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The rule that we follow is we put our faith in Jesus and he takes care of the rules. <laughs>